We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle number 40, Colin Andrews. Welcome to Transformative Principle where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter, at Jethro Jones. So I've got, um, I've got colleagues that I work with in Vermont mm-hmm. and Oregon. Uh, several years ago, I was awarded a traveling fellowship, and I was looking at transitioning of children from uh, primary into our intermediate or middle schools and then on into secondary schools. And um, mm-hmm. I work really closely with a couple of educators from those two parts of the world. <clears throat> awesome. So I've had a few trips to your amazing country <laughs> and continue to develop that um, learning relationship. It's been fantastic. That's, very, a, very, very... that's awesome. How did you uh, get started on a learning fellowship? What did that look like? Uh, so um, there's a few op- opportunities for educators to pick up learning opportunities in uh, New Zealand. So I applied for a six-month sabbatical and uh, a fellowship that stood alongside that. And um, I decided to do a four-way study. I looked at the way we do transition in New Zealand, and I compared it to the US, the UK, and Australia. I interviewed uh, teachers, interviewed kids, and their parents. And then I did a cross-reference on all of that. And I did another little study alongside that where I tracked some Kiwi kids over about three years. I tracked them into my school and then out into secondary school and then and then secondary school. So that took about four years all up, I suppose, to do that part of the study. Wow, that's amazing. That is awesome. So how did you um, how did you take those those interviews and cross reference them? How did you? Did you just have to read through every single thing and then find connections, or did you use some piece of yep. software? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're a lot younger than me, Jess, right? <laughs> uh, the, old, 
the old pen and paper still works for us old dudes, you know. <laughs> yes, it does. It still works for us young dudes also, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing. There's some, <clears throat> excuse me, there's some software now where you can, you can use that software to find correlations between what people say and, um, you know, it's not as good as, as a human mind being able to do it, but mm-hmm. it's pretty fascinating. So just wonder if you were a pioneer in that field or not, but no. <laughs> that's no, quite all right. Not, I'm very sorry to say. Sorry to say. <laughs> um, but, but first, let's go ahead and have you introduce yourself so that people know who you are and where you're at and what sure. you're doing. Okay. So my name's Colin Andrews. I'm principal of Blockhouse Bay Intermediate School in Central Auckland. I've been principal of the school now for 12 years, and it's been a real joy and a real pleasure to be working in this environment. Uh, Blockhouse Bay Intermediate School's got around 800 children, very diverse. New Zealand is an immigrant's country, and Auckland in particular. So we've got between 35 and 40 different ethnic groups across the school. One thing that kids are interested in is the environment. And I feel passionate about making sure that they can understand the environment in many different ways. So the way that we've reforested part of the school grounds, it's been totally driven by the kids. We've put a outdoor classroom in the middle of the forest, driven by the kids. They were worried about the pest numbers, rats, mice, stoats, weasels. That was driven by the kids. We directed them through an inquiry basis, looking at how they can find out what to do about those pests. So we've done a lot around that. We've set up vegetable gardens, an um, orchard. That's tied back into our cooking program. And the kids manage and run that so that they're talking to the cooking teacher and saying, what food do you need? And what's the time frame so we can plant and grow that for you? Hasn't worked very well yet, Jethro. It's a <laughs> work in progress, but the concept is just so rich. Um, we are one of two intermediate schools across the country that has been awarded the Enviro Schools Award, and we're very proud of that as well. My staff are very interested in the environment as well. So I've purposefully looked around for teachers that are really going to inspire the kids to look after the environment, to grow our amazing forest and to produce food for our cooking room that that is awesome so you you said a a lot of stuff that you're doing in there um and i want to go back and talk about a few of those different things um you said that the students have been driving the environmental education tell me how you you set that up so that they would be able to um to drive it themselves rather than relying on the adults to do things? How did you make that happen? Good question. So if I go back 10 years, maybe 12 years when I started here, one thing that I noticed about the school when I arrived here was there a stream borders it. And if we go back a thousand years, that stream would have been buried in forest. And the Maori gave it a name, Waituharangi, which means the water walkway of the fairy folk. Patapairi, as the Māori call them. So I thought I'd like to plant some trees, which I started doing. And then as the kids got involved in it, they were saying, oh, Mr. Andrews, this is so cool. So they instigated putting the pathway in, and they helped me design where the pathway went. Then we set up what we call the Enviro Kids, 
and it's the envirocrids through the process of inquiry and student voice that we allowed them the opportunity to take ownership of the forest and install things in there like the outdoor classroom. So it's the skill of the teacher, the skill to seize the moment and the skill to help the kids develop pathways without compromising their desire to have an end product of an outdoor classroom. That really makes a difference to their learning. So student, student voice, an inquiry, and a very skillful teacher who stands in that old term, a guide on the side rather than the sage on the stage, so that they really take that learning forward. So now the kids have created this outdoor classroom, which is just beautiful. That's amazing. Um, so you you started um, uh, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. You wanted to plant yes. some trees, and then the kids, you involved them in that process. You had them go out and plant the trees, right? Oh, yes. Um, and that was, down, that was down by a stream that borders your school's property. And then yes. there's... There's the pathway that goes there that um, there are pictures of on your on your website, yes. and I'll be sure to link to that. And so, did the kids decide that they wanted to do the the pathway, or was that something else that you had that mm. you had said you wanted to do, and then you got them to work with you on it? How did that work? So, when we started planting the forest, I thought it'd be really nice to have a pathway through here so the community can see the trees that were growing. So I started talking to some, some of our Enviro kids and they helped me trace the path mm -hmm. forest. And I hadn't actually thought of a beginning and an end to the footpath. So they said, why don't we put it in a loop, Mr. Andrew? So we can go right down here by the stream and we can come up these steps and round about through this area here and then back. So we sort of create this pathway that goes in and then loops right around. And that's the way that it came about. So we got pegs out and uh, some of the trees that we'd planted got, had to get moved and pulled out. But in the end, you know, we've ended up with this really cool footpath. The kids now have got a, a walkway through this beautiful forest. So that's where that came about. That's pretty amazing. So it, it takes a, a fair amount of responsibility for students to be able to make those kinds of decisions. How do you, yes. how do you help them? know that those decisions matter how do you set parameters for them so they're not saying let's do something totally crazy how do you how do you find that balance of giving them enough responsibility so they own it but not giving them so much that they can do something unwise that's a very good question and i think partly i'm blessed with a sort of community that embraces this sort of work i've been able to be very expansive because of that jethro and if I wasn't in a community and my previous school wasn't in that sort of community, that would be able to be really expansive with any ideas that we dreamed about. Um, and they've taken on the ideas very easily. So that's part of it. And the other part, as I went back to say before, is that it's the ability of the teacher to spot a question that the kids have raised and be able to really pursue it. Another thing I talk to my kids a lot about is I say, you know, for me, one of the most profound moments for me as a teacher is when you make a mistake. Don't you ever fight of saying and asking me a question. 
because I will never reprimand you about that. And that's a philosophy that we engage with the teachers about because it's, that, it's those little, sweet little teachable moments that when the kids say, so what do you mean there, Mr. Andrews? I thought it meant this, which might be off the pathway completely. But it's being able to seize those little teachable moments by saying, I respect everything you say. I want you to talk about things. And let's see there's a pathway forward from that. So I think really the community, the pedagogy, and the ability for kids to really express themselves through student voice. Mm -hmm. So what is the uh, the structure of the Enviro kids? Is that a period in the day? Is that an after school program? When okay. do they get together and do these things? Okay, so we have a, um, a five five day week as you guys do. At school at 8.30 in the morning, finish about three o'clock. We do the majority of our nuts and bolts teaching on Mondays through Thursdays. On Friday, we have um, our, what we call our gifted and talented program. I employ an extra five teachers across the school, and <clears throat> that allows me the flexibility to say, uh, Tonya, who's my EnviroKid teacher, I'm going to release you for two blocks, and in those blocks, those are the sorts of things that you're going to be doing around the EnviroKids and the gardens. So how do we speak the kids? So EnviroKids are... It's really popular. I'd, I'd have 200 kids in the Enviro Kids if they had their way. So we get them to apply. So they write a letter and they apply to Tanya and say, I'd like to be an Enviro Kid because of this and this and this. And that's the way we do it. Because of our, um, our high immigrant population, we have to be careful with the kids that can't express themselves carefully. Um, I've got a room just right over there. It's got three very experienced teachers in it. And they spend a lot of time with the kids that aren't literate in English. And they'll often sit down with the kids and help them write letters and they practice them and doing all that sort of stuff. But driven by the kids, pick, kids pick, kids pick it. And then we, um, then once they've, I mean, if they're going to put their hand up and say, I want to be part of that, then there's a, there's certainly a commitment on their part to be part of the program. Mm -hmm. And so you've been doing this for a decade now, so it didn't start out that way. So what did it look like when it first started? Um, what did it look like when it first started? Um, so when we first started it, the, the kids were basic, when we started the Enviro Kids, it was basically, again, do you want to be an Enviro Kid? But we hadn't really thought what that meant at that stage. So there was a lot of mistakes made in those early early days, but that's absolutely fine. A mistake's a great learning environment. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty much, you want to be a viral kid? Help welcome in. I mean, one year we ended up with a group of 60 kids and that became unmanageable. So now we work around 30 kids. Some of them look after the forest. Some of them look after the pest program. Some of them look after the vegetable gardens and the orchard. And that's the way we operate. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so um, I imagine that these kids are not the only kids that are involved when you do a, a large project like building the path or planting the trees. You mm. know, I, I assume you these kids organize and set it up and then other yep. kids participate as well. Yep. So I'm about to go to a, an assembly this afternoon and I'll say we're going to have a working bee. It'll be on a Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know about you, your kids and your part of the world, but Saturdays are taken out by sport in New Zealand. We're very passionate about 
our sports. So Sunday around about one o'clock, we'll gather together, be about 200 kids there. I say to the kids, you have to bring a parent and sometimes you can negotiate. So there's two kids to one parent, I don't mind, but if you want to be here, you've got to arrange to get a parent either here or negotiate with your friend to bring their parent. So we'll work for a couple of hours. So, you know, two hours with sort of 250 people, it's around about 500 hours work. It's <laughs> and a big blitz. It's fantastic, Jethro. That is fantastic. And how often are you doing these these work days throughout the year? Um, maybe two or three a year. Okay. Uh, Early on, we did maybe, um, we were doing maybe four or five a year because it was just so much work to do to get the project looking like a forest. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you have about 200 kids that are showing up and they have to bring a parent to be able to come. How do you make manual labor, which it sounds like it is, sound so exciting to kids that they will um, coerce their parents into coming with them? Okay, so there's a couple of things there. Uh, one, there's just uh, there's four ethics that we work to in the school. Mm-hmm. There's four things that sit behind learning and teaching: academic, cultural, sporting, and the last one is service to the community. So we expect the kids to show that they have done elements of that through the course of the school year. Now we have a uniform which you guys don't, I guess. So <clears throat> onto the school uniform. We give the kids little different coloured stars as a uh, extrinsic reward for them coming along, and they sew, sew them on the sleeve of their uh, sweat, sweater, and uh, that just shows them that we value the work that they've done in these four areas: either academic, cultural, sporting, or service to the community. Okay, and so those four ethics you are um, talking about and finding ways to. To yes. recognize those all throughout the year in probably everything you do, is that right? Everything we do, yeah. Awesome. When some say, oh, yeah, I've got to get as many stars on my sleeve as I possibly can, and we say, that's fine. And other kids don't give two hoots about it. They don't mm-hmm. need And they'll just plow on and do the very best that they can and all they do. Mm-hmm. It's, I, as I said before, Jethro, I'm blessed with a really lovely community, and they're really committed to the school and the ethics of the school. So... You know, I I don't have a lot of behavioural problems, and that makes an enormous difference to a school, particularly of 800 kids. You know, there's it's I'm I'm really blessed with a, an environment to work in like this. Yeah, absolutely, that does make a big difference. So, yes. Tanya is your teacher of the Enviro Kids. How long has uh, she been there with you, and and what has her role evolved into? Okay, so Tanya. She was one of the first teachers I employed when I arrived in the school because, again, I like that ethos of a teacher with an environmental background. She's got uh, a science degree. Uh, she's a classroom teacher. So a bit unlike the system in the States, we work more in a holistic mm-hmm. view of learning and teaching. So one teacher will teach all the academic subjects. Uh, we'll also teach the PE and the health. So she does all of that. And then on Fridays, she's pretty focused on doing her learning and teaching around the Enviro kids. Mm-hmm. But if you went into a classroom, you'd see that she wasn't very keen on the environment anyway. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know whether you have the same. I don't know whether you have the same flexibility in the way you employ teachers, Jethro. 
Uh, no, because of the uh, the laws that are in our in our country, teachers have to be what's called highly qualified, which means mm. that you have to for secondary schools you have to have a bachelor's degree in the area in which you're going to teach. So, for example, mm. I have a English degree, and so I would only be able to teach um, English type courses, reading, writing, things like that. Um, and I wouldn't be able to teach math without getting mm. additional, taking additional college level yep. courses and getting an additional math endorsement. And so at the secondary level, that's, that's how that works. Yeah. So we don't have that as much flexibility with that. So th that's the same in New Zealand. Okay. So from year nine up, mm -hmm. children would be taught the subjects rather than the individual being taught. Mm -hmm. So up to year eight, uh, that's what we would call primary education. Uh -huh. The two uh -huh. years, the two years I've got in my school, year seven and eight, um, <clears throat> we do a little bit of semi-specialization, not a lot, but it's the classroom teacher. It's all about the relationship that the teacher develops with the child. Mm -hmm. That's the most powerful learning um, tool that you can have. So I, I really endorse that yeah, style absolutely. of teaching. And I know in visiting Oregon and Vermont, and I also went down to Georgia as well in my studies. And I saw a lot of middle schools where, you know, there's a team of maybe four teachers mm -hmm. and they with a group of, say, 80 to 100 kids. And there was a, an element of semi-specialization in there where to be a literacy teacher and a numeracy and somebody to teach social studies and somebody to teach science. Mm -hmm. So we don't do that so much. There's a little bit of it, but not, mm -hmm. not in this so one of your one of your teachers then would have 30 students about in that she sees all through the day right yes that's right okay yeah so we we do much more specialization early on so they're you know 100 to 150 um depending on what they're teaching some of our teachers will see every student in the grade in the six periods they teach so they'll have up to 180 kids at once or in one day so they, um, it's a little bit, a little bit different. That's how it is in our elementary schools, but not quite. Mm. Sixth mm. grade is usually about where that cutoff happens. So yeah. Uh. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, and please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time 
without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.